Playoffs, playoffs, turn up, playoffs. Cinco, cuatro, tres, dos, uno. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Cool Zone Pod. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at the Cool Zone Pod. Slide in those DMs. We're still waiting on that first DM, but it's fine. I'm not upset about it at all. Be sure to follow some of the other Mouthing Off Sports podcasts, including the Mouthing Off Sports podcast, and also our friends over, well, our friend over at Fixin' to Talk Sports. Um, and maybe uh, we, you know, we haven't mentioned our, those friendly Foxborough files people in a while, but um, stay tuned, and we might have a surprise for you later on in this week. But, but today we have a likely short episode for you guys. Uh, it's been a pretty slow week in the NBA, so we're going to kick off by capitalizing on some mainstream media, talk a little bit about the tournament coming up. We're not going to spoil too much, as Ryan has a mega podcast coming out with everything you need to know about the tournament coming up this weekend. But for today, we figured, how do we fill, how do we fill a slow week in the NBA outside of talking about the tournament a very small amount? Well, we reach out to a new special guest. So, welcome to the show for the very first time, I guess, this season, or really ever, uh, Billy Campbell. Welcome to the podcast, Billy. Welcome to the Cool Zone. How are you? Thanks, Nick. Uh, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Happy to have you here. And this has been something we've had in the works for a while. Um, yeah, we've, we've, had... been, we've been talking. I've bailed a couple times, so I needed to make it right. <laughs> needed to come on. Well, what a better time to do it than this week, because we've had people like Marcus and Dan on, uh, some guys that I know you're pretty close to as well, and they've given their thoughts on the state of the season, I suppose, at different points during this season so far. So, with that being said, of course, joined by Jonathan per usual. Sometimes I forget to say it. I feel like it's kind of just known at this point. Um, but let's uh, let's start the discussion for tonight. And the first thing, like I said, we're going to talk about, talk about the tournament a little bit. Selection show was yesterday, of course, today, Monday, March 15th. Uh, I think I have that right. Uh, it's so tiny I can't even see on yeah, the screen. Day but 15. Day, day 15. Give it up for day 15, everybody. Now let's talk about the tournament very briefly as the brackets were all just released last night. Uh, who do you guys like right away um, without looking too far into it? I know you, maybe you've looked at some stuff, but uh, what team jumps out at you as maybe the most the team with the highest chance to win? I'm start with you, John, since I'm looking at you. Well, I think the traditional answer is going to be like Gonzaga since they're undefeated and they're the number one overall seed, but... I like Illinois. I think that they are playing really well. They have uh, Koki Cokeburn, who's just massive in the middle. They're playing really good basketball. They just won the Big Ten Championship. I think that they're, they're going to be a trendy pick, as well as Gonzaga. I would say those two teams probably have mm. the most, <clears throat> the least amount of flaws yeah. of any of the teams, so I would give them like the best chances like as of right now so let me spice up this question just a little bit since i feel like a lot of the answers to that question i didn't realize until after i'd asked it um let's spice it up by saying non one seed which non one seed do you think has the best chance to maybe not so make a run because it's not when you say make a run maybe you're talking about a team that doesn't exactly have the greatest odds but what non one seed would you say that has the best chance at first glance all right. Um, I'll actually go with a four seed right now, mm-hmm. and that is going to be Oklahoma State. I think they're playing really good. 
Their draw, I don't think, is that bad. I think they're in Michigan's uh, side of the bracket, which Michigan just lost one of their best players. He just got hurt. And I think they're a bit flawed now. They've struggled a bit down the stretch. Uh, I think Oklahoma State can make a run. They were way um, overseeded. How West Virginia is a three seed and Oklahoma State was a four seed is crazy considering West, uh, Oklahoma State was undefeated versus West Virginia this year, and they even beat them in the Big 12 tournament. Kate Cunningham might be the best player in college basketball. Going to be the number one pick in the draft. If he's an all-time great, and he's going to be an all-time great like people think he might be in the NBA, this is his first uh, first chance to really prove how you know transcending of a talent he is. All right, we'll go to you, Billy. What do you think? Uh, if you ask me, I'd have to say um, I would go with Texas Tech. Uh, I think they were on the left side of the bracket that I was looking at earlier. <clears throat> And the reason I think Texas Tech, I think a good transfer team, people like Mac McClung, a couple other guys. Um, <clears throat> ooh, is that a good? Nah, I fucking hate Mac McClung. Uh, you <laughs> he, too? Yeah. I don't have a, I don't have an opinion on. Well, that. he he transferred I, from the Big East. He played at. He went to um, Georgetown. Georgetown, yeah. He said, "I don't like the coach." Got out of there, served his time. He's got a punchable face. I people think that's people. Yeah. Texas Tech is technically. The defending runner-up NCAA um, runner-up. They went to overtime with Virginia in the last championship. That's just still still so disgusting. And, the, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil too much because but I hate Virginia in the tournament. Virginia is the worst team to have to pick through in the tournament, and I'll I'll bet I don't know if Virginia's. I don't think Virginia is even in the same region that I'm discussing tomorrow, so maybe I can talk about it now. They lose. They're a perennial loser. They have one year, obviously, that they won. But outside of that, they lose constantly as soon as they face a team that just has one good shooting day. They're a 3-and-D team at heart. They've been for a while now. And literally, I mean, you saw they lost to UMBC because those kids got hot and just couldn't miss. A lot of teams that, practically every team that makes the tournament has the ability to just show up on one given day and just get really hot. And, you know, better offense, I at least in the NCAA tournament, I feel like offense beats defense. I feel like you see teams get really hot, especially shooting the ball from deep, and those teams usually go far. And Virginia winning is the only thing really flying that case. But regardless, um, Texas Tech's not a bad pick. Uh, of course, I'm a Big 12 stan. I'm a Big East and Big 12 stan. It's the only two, college basketball I watch. Two Big 12 picks here. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to make it three. I'm going to go with my Longhorns. I really like the oh, way they've been biased. playing lately. I am biased. <laughs> yeah, I am biased. I'll give you a non-biased pick after. But um, listen, I think Texas' region is really winnable. They've got the worst one seed of them all in Michigan to have to go through. Um, their two seed is Alabama, who is good. And Alabama is another team who I actually think has a chance to make a good run. They're long athletic as well. Similar to Texas. Um, but the way they are playing, Matt Coleman just scored 30 points in a game, which 30 points, as somebody who's been watching Texas for a long time, 30 points for a gu- one of their guards is uh, a big deal because they generally are a very spread offense kind of team. You don't see one guy really taking over, kind of like Cade Cunningham does with Oklahoma State. Um, but they've been playing really well down the stretch. They hit kind of a roadblock in the middle of the season after starting off wicked hot. But they got it together, you know. Yes, Kansas kind of fell off in the tournament with COVID, so they got through. But they still had to beat a really good Texas Tech team, 
and they still had to beat a really hot Oklahoma State team that had just taken down Baylor. So you know I love that transitive property. If Oklahoma State beats Baylor and Texas beats Oklahoma State, then that technically means Texas beat uh, Texas beat Baylor. So that means Texas basically going to win the NCAA National Championship, and that's all i got to say. My unbiased answer is kind of – this is a little different one, but um, – I mildly have talked about this to some people in person and, and just individually, but LSU, man, is really hot, and that's another team that's in Texas region, so that's going to be tough if they make their way through there. I think there are a lot of teams um, that could kind of go through and really cause some trouble, and LSU is definitely one of them. Um, really low seed, eight seed in this tournament, but the way they've been playing is a lot better. Um, I will say overall, now I've given my answer to that, there are a lot of there are a couple twelve five matchups that are like seemingly way too easy. Like Winthrop and Villanova is way too easy. Winthrop like, twenty two and one. Yeah, but that's that's classic Winthrop. That you know, like they they do this. It seems like they make it every year, but they I don't think they've ever really. Have they won? I don't. I obviously don't know. But like I, I think they might have won once. I mean, I feel like they're always like a like a twelve or a thirteen seed, and they're always like a trendy. Yeah, upset like like when if Murray State makes the tournament, they're always like like that type of team, like always a trendy upset pick. Yeah, but um, they had their their opportunity this year. That's what's really exciting because Villanova down Gillespie makes them very vulnerable. I think I, I would honestly a bold bold take. I think the there will be they'll all they do the percentages of like who's taking whom mm-hmm. um on the tournament challenge after the brackets close on Thursday. Or, well, I guess this, in this case it'll be Friday. But I bet you'll see more than half the brackets, or very close to half the brackets, taking uh, Winthrop over Villanova. I'd agree with that. Um, Georgetown is another 12 seed that has, I think, a good matchup. I, do you remember who Georgetown is playing? I probably should have looked at this Tennessee, beforehand. Tennessee, I think. Is it Tennessee? Hmm. But Georgetown is playing some really good basketball as of late. They just took down um, Creighton in the Big East Championship. That's the only reason why they're in this freaking thing. Um, but yeah, another team like UConn out of the Big East, they're really hot right now. Again, we'll talk more about that region um, since they're part of the Texas region tomorrow. But um, it's going to be exciting. I uh, can't wait to see everything get started, I believe, on Thursday with the play-in games. Uh, Michigan State, UCLA should be a good one. Um but aside from that, is there anything else you guys are looking forward to in this tournament? I would say something to watch out for. Uh, me going to UNH, being an American East stan. I would watch out for that 1 versus 16 matchup. Uh, you got um, Hartford versus, who are they playing? Uh, Baylor. Yep. So that's my big pick. That's my ticket. American East being represented in the tournament very well. Since it's not UVM for once. Bay fraud. <laughs> okay so georgetown just to clarify georgetown playing colorado that's why i think that's a winnable game for them as well um doing a quick little look around here to see if there's anything uh, else yeah tennessee's the other five seed yeah tennessee's got oregon state that oregon state's gonna get like, flattened no way dude i don't think they're that good at all i think i think they got lucky to come out of that as pac-12 champions Pac-12 I don't take very seriously at all, but USC could make a good run with Kansas struggling with COVID issues. If both of those teams match up, USC could find themselves over in the Sweet 16, possibly having to play those Hawks out of Iowa. Dude, I'll talk about this on Ryan's bracket, but man, Iowa-Oregon in the second round is not a great matchup for Iowa. 
Mm-hmm. But anyway, so be sure to look out for Ryan's podcast. We're recording this on Monday. Ryan will be recording a lot of showtime with different guests over the course of the next 24, 48 hours. I don't know if he's doing it all in one day, but he will be starting to do some tomorrow. So be on the lookout for his podcast, his mega podcast coming out for all the information and all the lookouts about what to keep your eyes on as the tournament gets closer. But for now, we'll shift back to what we're a little better at, and that's talking NBA basketball. We have a pretty slow week, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode. Really not much going on in the first week after the All-Star break. Um, We talked very vague. We actually talked a lot about the All-Star weekend, but we didn't have too much Celtics to talk about, but that's why we have Billy here to look back on where how we got to 20-18, and 18, where the Celtics sit right now in the fifth seed in the East. Um, as far as the league as a whole, though, some of its top teams, for example, like the Utah Jazz, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Los Angeles Lakers, really struggling and opening up a window of opportunity for my Phoenix Suns, who, as we talked about a little last week, Jumped all the way up to second place. They are riding a small but strong win streak, I believe, at the moment. Uh, Jazz losers of four of the last six. And Clippers lost four of five. And the Lakers dropping their last six of nine. So, where what has changed because of that? Well, not much at all. Really next to nothing. Uh, the Jazz still sit at the top of the Western Conference at 28-10. And as we said, Suns in second, and Clippers in fourth. I skipped the Lakers there in third. Then you got the Nuggets, Trailblazers, Spurs, and Mavericks. Mavericks are playing very well right now. Seven of their last ten, they've jumped into the eighth spot. Um, Luka Doncic doing some inspiring work over in Dallas. Uh, the other thing to notice in the Western Conference, man, uh, every week we talk about uh, the Houston Rockets, and we just keep adding a couple tally marks to this horrid losing streak that they're on ever since Christian Wood got hurt. They are now up to 16 straight losses, and they've plummeted all the way down into essentially third to last in the entire league, only trailing the Minnesota Timberwolves by, I believe, a few games and the Pistons a few games. The Pistons are one game behind the Timberwolves if you're a part of the tankathon that is going on at the end of the NBA standings. Uh, but aside from that, if we go back up to the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat really streaking. The top four teams in the Eastern Conference, them being Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Miami, all winners of at least eight of their last ten. Philly, Milwaukee, eight of their last ten. Brooklyn, Miami, nine of their last ten. Those four teams playing some really good basketball. Jimmy Butler is playing some MVP caliber basketball right now. He is averaging over 20 points a game. In his last seven, he's almost averaging 30 a game to go along with about eight boards and eight rebounds and two steals per game. So he's playing some all-around basketball, really pushing the Heat back into the playoff race. I mean, hell, at the beginning of the season, about a month in, we were looking at the Heat at the very bottom of this conference, wondering if their season was over. Uh, but we knew they had some injuries, so they were going to come back, and we had pretty much a good amount of confidence that this was going to happen. So um, is there anything you guys have noticed up to this point, anything that sticks out to you standings-wise, or anything that you're looking ahead for that you expect to see from a league-wide standpoint going into the second half of the season now? Um, from the rest of the league, 
I would say it's kind of kind of how it's been going the whole season. You have at the top of both conferences really uh, your top two or three teams, and then the rest everyone's kind a little bit trailing behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way teams are playing now, I think anyone can get hot at any time. You got the Celtics who are fought, who won five of the last six games, and it's just any anything like that. You know, a couple weeks in basketball can really change your season around. And I think there are a lot of teams um, that aren't necessarily in the top one or two teams, like I said, in each division, uh, that have definitely have something to prove. So that'll um, hopefully see that at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And trade deadline coming up, so a lot of guys, a lot of teams are going to be making moves for guys to try and make that push. You mentioned a lot of movement going on. I mean, if you take a look between the Heat at the four seed, and this has uh, kind of been a topic of conversation for several weeks over the course of the season. From the Heat all the way at the four seed, all the way down to pretty much, we'll say, Toronto, who is two or three teams out of the playoffs right now. Only a four-game difference between all those teams. So that's a lot of basketball that's going to be uh, intensely played, especially as we get down the stretch in the latter end of the second half of the season. going to be interesting to see who slots into the playoffs right now. Um, the Charlotte Hornets having a similar record to the Celtics uh, with everything Gordon Hayward going on and Terry Rozier couple old Celtics Johns really kind of giving it to the Celtics right now so as Celtics fans it's got to make people very upset so with that being said and the Celtics on our mind we might as well get right into it um so the first question I'll ask you Billy since uh the people the cool zone listeners they know how Jonathan and I feel about mostly pretty much everything with the Celtics we'll obviously go in and talk about the games against Brooklyn and Houston but first and foremost let's kind of update everybody and get everybody up to speed about where you stand as a Celtics fan on a lot of the drama that we've kind of uh, in you know a lot of the drama that we've had to listen to and watch over this first-ish half of the season well I mean I think that's part of the reason why we watch basketball it's because it's a, a drama it's something that is crazy and it's changing all the time and I think there's a little bit of parity going on uh, in the past few seasons, but you see teams like Utah and Phoenix, who traditionally the past like three years ago you wouldn't think anything of it, and now you have them at the top of the West. Um, and then the East, obviously a couple of years ago, uh, Brooklyn didn't have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Harden. Um, but And then Philly and Milwaukee are kind of what they have been the past few years. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of really trash organizations. I mean, Brooklyn takes a lot of heat constantly for the deal that they made with the Celtics way back when, the Paul Pierce-Kevin Garnett deal. Uh, regarding the Celtics, though, what would you say has been the biggest disappointment, in your opinion? Uh, this could be anything, whether it's a player or well, a Besides the draft. Uh, it can it can be the draft. Uh Floor is open. What do you think is the biggest disappointment of the season uh, for the Celtics? Um, I think. Well, I think there's a lot to be happy about, but I think the things that I would be, I would say, I'd be disappointed about. Um, a lot of injury, but you can't really complain because every team goes through injury. Mm-hmm. You had Marcus Smart who missed like 16 games or whatever it was. Um, might have been 18. I forget exactly. Uh, but every team has injuries, so you can't really use that as an excuse. I think that the things that haven't been what I would like to see is um, really the 
the rookie, not the rookies, but the younger younger players in the team that uh, we're expecting a little bit more out of. Not to say that you can really blame the players that aren't getting a lot of time, you know, uh, like any any of the young guys, you know, they have a pass, but players, uh, I guess Je Jeff Teague's in his own situation too because he's getting a bunch of DNPs, you know, he's not really fitting with what's going on in Brad's mind and what his game plan is, but. I mean, being five in the East right now, I can't really be too disappointed right after the All-Star break, to be honest. So would you say that five, if somebody had told you at the beginning of the season the Celtics were the five seed at this point, you'd be okay with that? I would say, I, I thought we'd be a little bit closer with Brooklyn, but obviously they got Harden uh, via trade, so that's something you can't predict. But I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd expect to be right around that four or five spot. Hmm. So you kind of mentioned a magic word, a word that we use very often on this show for anybody who is a distinct Cool Zone listener. And that trigger word, well, more so trigger abbreviation, was the uh, the letters DNP. Mm -hmm. So with that being spoken out loud, you've triggered our weekly segment. It's the Aaron Smith Box Score Review of the Week, everybody. We love Neesmith. Best shooter in the draft. All right. We are the biggest Aaron Neesmith fans in the entire world. Nobody bigger fans than the two of us we, sitting here right in front of you right now. We love that Danny never moved that pick only for it to turn into Aaron Neesmith. Mm. The best shooter in the draft by far. That's what I heard, yeah. We wouldn't have wanted anything else to go down. I th right. Aaron Neesmith was the best of the best. He's the best shooter in the draft, but... In recent weeks, we have kind of discovered he's the best rebounder. Right. He doesn't even get when he plays; it's for rebounding. It's not yeah. for shooting. Who cares about if you can shoot the ball? He, I mean, he clearly he goes out there every, and every time he gets to get on the court because Brad Stevens is a prick and doesn't play Aaron Neesmith. But every time he does get to go on the court, he's a consistent rebounder every single time. And people, you know what? I'll forgive him for the mishap against Dallas with Luka Doncic in the game winner. But you know what? I, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to call him the best defender in the draft too. I think we said that once earlier. We, we all know that scoring the basketball is not as important as rebounding the basketball. Yeah, and the best Very stat obvious. that you can look at to judge a player is plus minus. Yes, unless his plus minus is bad. Then and it doesn't it's matter. Everyone else is. Yeah, bad. but if yeah. he's got a good plus minus, he's nasty. Right. All right. Let's get to it. Yeah. Let's get right to it. So let's go right to Brooklyn. Um, they played their first game of two in the past week with Brooklyn. Uh, this was an unfortunate L, 121-109 to loss for the Celtics. Uh, they shot the ball okay, not from three, though. They were kind of doo-doo from three. And they didn't rebound the ball very well. 39 rebounds is not, not great. Their assist number is not bad. You know, statistically, Tatum at 31 points, but you let up 40 points to Kyrie Irving. That's just not going to get the job done. And James Harden did his usual stuff. James Harden uh, had about 22 points, 10, 10 rebounds, and 8 assists. So a nice box score for James Harden. But that's not the box score we care about right now. We care about where Aaron Neesmith is. And, oh, man. You know, we, we didn't end last week on a high note. It was a really sad week last week. We had a lot of DNP coaches' decisions. It was a very depressing moment in the cool zone and the hits just keep coming another dnp coach's decision for aaron e smith against the brooklyn nets you wonder why you lose these games you have to think right he's he's a lottery pick he's the best shooter in the draft the celtics lost by 12 points 
And you said they didn't shoot that well from three. If only you had the best shooter, the best the shooter in the draft to give you, what, 12 points? I mean... Yeah, 4-4 four, four from three. Easy clap. That's the difference. You, you, can't, you beat me to it. it. It is the difference, I think. 12 points for Neesmith would win you this game. Aaron Neesmith is the piece they've been looking for this whole time. And when are they going to realize it? I, I think... I mean, I did read this on Twitter from I Love Celtics, the account. Oh, that's reputable. They it, are right about all their said, sourcing. I think Aaron Neesmith is uh, our secret weapon, and Brad doesn't want to release him until the playoffs so other teams can't see how good he is. That would be literally one million IQ. Billy, you think that's possible? I don't know. I mean, no, honestly. No. <laughs> no. I think it would be a great game. I'm going to roll with the account. Yeah, I think they're right. Yeah, I agree. How many followers do they have? Zero. Formed in March 2021, but I believe it. It sounds legit to me. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's right. I mean, we can do do some fact-checking later, but uh, I love Celtics sponsored by the Cool Zone. Yeah, we care about facts. We care about facts, not followers. Yeah, true, true, true. And as long as they say, like, hashtag confirmed on the tweet, then, like... Yeah, yeah, and they started with sources... Oh, and breaking. Yeah, that, right. Yeah. That's it. But anyway, um, really, I mean, Jeff T get 15 minutes. Grant Curry, 16 minutes in this game. I don't know, man. Marcus Smart comes back for one game, and Aaron Eastman still can't get on the court. Let's see if things changed in Houston. The Celtics dominated Houston in this game, and this is where we really expected uh, to see a good performance and... And, hopefully, some Aaron with minutes in garbage time. So, let's take a look at the game. 55% from the field for the Celtics. Fantastic shooting. Almost shot 50% from three. 55 rebounds in this game. They did they, 29 assists. They did everything good in this game. Uh, and Robert Williams really had himself a hell of a game as well. Robert Williams played only 19 minutes. But a lot of the starters in this game got taken out early anyways because it was a blowout. Perfect from the field, 7-7, seven 13 rebounds, 3 blocks. I mean, what a game for Rob Williams, who's hopefully going to get some more time with his running with the starters. I mean, you'd like to think. Uh, but, man, the box score is big in this one. Only two people didn't get run in this game, and that being Glassman Romeo Langford, who we will get to shortly, and Tremont Waters, who's just, he's, he's like a, he's a little person. Belong to a circus. Yeah. <laughs> Circus? <laughs> okay, so let's take a look. So, like we predicted, and we have to, you know, got to celebrate this. Nine minutes and eight seconds for Aaron Neesmith in this game. Now, we do this a lot. Nine minutes and eight seconds. How many shots do you think you get off? Best shooter in a draft. Yeah. Four or five? Yeah, four or five sounds right. Well, Aaron Eastmith won a three, so just short of that, but seems about right. He hit one of his shots. It was a nice little three-pointer there. So uh, he finished with three points. He was a minus five on the court, but, like, because it's negative, it's fine. It, well, we, we, don't, we won't count that one against him. Uh, nothing, nothing really doing uh, in the stat sheet. No rebounds. You know what? Listen, I think, and, and hear me out here, I think that Tristan Thompson stole all of Aaron Eastman's rebounds. Yeah, and he played with Taco Fall. It's it's hard to get rebounds when you have a legit 
like ten Tree. footer on the court with you. Yeah, I I I, I think. I, I think this is an outlier game for Aaron E. Smith, to be honest. But hey, you got on the court. And you got a steal. I see that. So, deep away considerations definitely going for it. Oh, do you think? S- spin zone on Aaron E. Smith, 50% from three. That's pretty good, right? That is a fantastic I was, was going to get to this. Any listener out there, can you name me one player in the NBA that's shooting 50% from three? Well, look. He's not shooting 50%. He did last night. Last game, of course. That's what I was yeah. talking about. Oh, oh, so like shooting But I'm percent, saying like, like you're like, yeah. oh, he can't shoot. He can't shoot. 50% is pretty 50%. good. Yeah. I'd like to see you go shoot 50% from three in an NBA game. I mean, I, I think I could, personally. And get a steal? No shot. Oh, no. See, that's where the line's drawn. <laughs> only the best shooter and the best defender in the draft can do both of right. those things. I'm only the best shooter I've ever known. Right. So. And... As I can see, Aaron Neesmith played 908. Taco Fall also played 908. They played the same exact minutes together. They came into the game together. Yeah. And we know Taco Fall. When you look at him and you watch him play, you know he's a legit NBA player. So if Aaron Neesmith is playing the same amount of time as Taco Fall, that tells me that Aaron Neesmith is right at the top of the rotations because we know Taco is like six minutes. So let me tell you this. Taco Fall, not, you mentioned the same amount of minutes as Neesmith. Uh, is Taco Fall like – and? Imagine this on a headline. It'll 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 go off. It'll it'll hit better. Uh, is Taco Fall the best center in the NBA? Uh, I think take take your time and think about it if you need to. If he can shoot seventy five percent every game, and he's averaging something is per thirty six is ridiculous with blocks and everything like that. So uh, yeah, just give him time and make him play thirty six minutes a game. Get that conditioning up. Oh, did you say give him time? I agree. You know who else needs some time? Neesmith. Yeah, Neesmith. Langford. Listen, the people on Twitter, and I cannot stand it, the people saying, where's Romeo Langford? Wait, we want Romeo. Shut up. All right? Give the man some time. He hasn't even been out for that long. Yeah. Only since August. It's only been since August. It's only been like, oh, what? Six months, half a year. It's not that long. Right. Give him some time. Like, everybody's got to chill. Everybody, like, oh, he's on the health and safety protocol now. We just want, like, Dan Greenberg. Shut up, Dan Greenberg. Give yeah, Glass Dan Man Greenberg, his time. You're, stop not being a homer, please, Dan Greenberg. <laughs> God, that dude hates the Celtics. Always ripping Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens, especially. Hey, he's so negative online. God. Grr. Grr. That's a fist punching sound. Anyways. Uh, so that's going to be it for the Aaron E. Smith box score review of the week. Um, so back to our so back to our serious conversation. Um, so I asked you what your big, the biggest disappointment you think was, but who who do you think has been most impressive? You know what? And I'll, I'll eliminate Jalen Brown. I feel like he's the obvious answer as most impressive. Aside from Jalen Brown, uh, what player has impressed you the most on this roster this season, Billy? Um, I know we talked a little bit about him earlier, but I really like what Robert Williams has been doing lately. I think he gets to the glass. I, I really like his stroke from the line. I think he's got, for a, a big man, quote-unquote, I think he's got one of the better-looking um, free-throw strokes. What was that? Nothing. <laughs> Keep going. Um, but I, I, I just I, I like what he's been doing. He's really trying, um, and I think I've seen a, a big improvement from last year, so... Uh, I don't know how long he's in the books. I think two more years. So if I don't know if he's even gonna stay to the end of the deal, but 
I'd really like to see what he becomes as a player. I'd also like to see it building off Robert Williams. Everyone, obviously, the arrow is trending up on him. I'd like to see him get more. Sometimes he does flash it, but as you mentioned, his form shooting the ball, I think he could be a reliable pick-and-pop guy. I mean, I've seen it a few times from the baseline. Sometimes he'll hit the jumper. He loves the baseline jumper shot. The elbow jumper, like, could really take his game to the next level. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying he needs to get out there and start shooting threes. But, just to give you the threat of the pick and pop, because we know on the pick and roll, he's going to roll. But maybe on the pick and roll, if he can pick and pop, that would take him to the next level. Did you agree with that? Yeah, uh, I, 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 I like him, I think, more as a pick and roll player. I mean, we've seen what he's done with Pritchard. Uh, and even though he's a rookie, they seem to have that little connection. I know it hasn't happened a lot uh, just due to playing time, and they're not necessarily on the court all, all at the same time. Um, but I agree. If he could become a, a, like a perimeter shooter anywhere from like 10 to 15 feet, something like that, I think that would just elevate his game to the level and give the other players the space that they need, which is obviously going to help you get <clears throat> points and get separation. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Kemba Walker. Um, Kemba Walker has been a big target of discussion on this podcast. Um, we, I think we kind of, you know, let back on him a little bit because he has been playing better. Not the best overall performance for him in Houston, but it didn't really matter in this one. I would be more pressed to look at that game against Brooklyn. And he was 5-12, 1-7-from-3 against Brooklyn. Uh, and, like, no two assists in this game um so not again not Kemba's best but it's almost feeling like we're getting numb to some of these kind of games as they just keep happening what what is your feeling on Kemba Walker are you are you disappointed in a way like do you like are you done with Kemba Walker or are you still trying to be open-minded and give him a chance or what are you thinking here I think if you're paying him 30-something million, you've got to be open-minded about it. You've got to give him the time. And if he's not feeling it right now, then you just hope that he is feeling it at the end of the season and during crunch time, and hopefully during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we again, another thing we talked about earlier on in the, in the season when the Celtics are kind of going through a tough stretch is who is more so to blame? So you remember that um, that stretch of games where they were just losing constant, like consecutive games. Um, who do you think has been more at or the most, or maybe more at fault for the Celtics' kind of underwhelming season so far? Would you say Brad or Danny Ainge? If you have to pick one. Um. Well, I wouldn't pick one, but if you're gonna make me pick one, mm. I would say. Probably on Danny Ainge, just because Danny has, uh, and it's easy. I think it's easy to blame the coach, and the coach. I think it's more obvious in certain flashes, like um, what situational basketball. It comes down to the end of the game. Brad does something that is untraditional or out of uh, his character, and it causes them to lose. Um, But in terms of the GM and Danny, I think, I don't know. I think that. He's been around a long time, and he's got a lot of... He's, he's obviously won a championship, so people give him that kind of cushion, but it's been a long time since he has won, and I think you kind of have to question some of the things. I'm not saying... I don't, I don't know who would even replace him if you were going to talk about replacing him, but I think that... I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of 
50-50, similar to um, talking about like expectations earlier in the year. Not not expecting anything crazy, kind of expecting to be middle of the road just because that's the type of team that they are right now. Mm. So when I asked you to pick one, you said you didn't even really want to pick one. So where would you put the blame um, for what has caused the Celtics to be where they're at right now? Uh, I think it's a little bit of everything, honestly. you got the players that... I mean, you look some games, the dog, not not dogging it, but some games when they're out of it, they're out of it. Um, that doesn't help. You want to have fight, and it's it's easy to say that, but um, I I don't know. I think I don't think there's one thing that you can pinpoint, which is like to which is the reason why they're not doing uh, as well as we would like. Well, so I'll I'll tell you this. Um... When we, Jonathan and I have been talking, obviously, the whole entire season, um, we've put a, a lot of blame on Danny Ainge for the team that he has constructed. And that being in the sense that you sign these guys like Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson, and Thompson's given you some nice support, but he hasn't really impacted the game in any way that's going to change the outcome of it. You know, the guys that are going to make differences... Uh, to the team are your top tier guys, your guys that you hear talked about the most, like Tatum, Brown, Kemba, and even Marcus Smart. And Smart's injury definitely has not helped him on that stretch. That's you know where they started to go downhill. And then Kemba coming back and playing like absolute doo-doo put a lot on the backs of a COVID-ridden Jason Tatum and then even more so on Jalen Brown. We talked a lot about Jason Tatum over the course of this season for being pretty much broken. Well, he looked fantastic against uh, both Brooklyn and pretty well in Houston as well. So hopefully he's getting back into form now. But I do think you have to you have to put some of the blame on Danny Ainge and even to a higher degree just based off the history of everything. Because so many times in the past we the Celtics have kind of been in a position where they've been good but not good enough. And there have been opportunities for them to make moves, especially at the deadline, and kind of bolster their roster to make a run. You know, they made the Eastern Conference Championship um, against the Cavaliers in back when one of Tatum's earliest years. And that team, I don't think, had as much talent as some of the teams like last year. Like when Kyrie was here, like they were so good. They have like a really good roster compared to this dog water group of people like Grant Williams and and Jeff T, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Javante Green, and all these guys who have been so underwhelming, uh, and especially Jeff Teague. I mean, you signed the guy to be your backup point guard, and you thought he was going to be uh, something very useful, and he's kind of been the exact opposite. Him getting 16 minutes of run in the game against Brooklyn and taking one damn shot is kind of ridiculous. Like, you look at these shot totals, and some of these guys that are in the game for so long are doing just flat-out nothing. And the thing is, they don't provide you anything else spectacularly to make up for the lack of shooting. It's kind of the same thing we talk about with Neesmith. He gets his run on the court he, earlier on the season, like a, a week or two ago, when he's playing 20-plus like minutes a game. He's supposed to be an amazing shooter, and he's not shooting the ball. 
Is it confidence issues? I mean, I don't know, but he's not shooting the ball. Jeff Teague? What the hell does Jeff Teague offer you? Besides possibly scoring and facilitating. 16 minutes, one damn assist, and one damn shot. That's nothing. What does Grant Williams offer you? You're going to tell me he offers defense? Nice minus 18 against Brooklyn. He doesn't offer you anything. We call this man Grant Curry because it's a meme because Curry can shoot the ball, actually. And Grant can't. It's two ends of the spectrum. Who else do we need to rip on? I mean, Payne Pritchard is like mini Kemba sometimes. He takes all these shots. I mean, this game wasn't bad, but like, the percentage wasn't good. He didn't take a ton of shots. Five shots. He only made one. There are some games where he's like 3 of 11. 3 of 9. And I swear to God, his three-point percentage cannot be that good, even though I did see a stat. He was somewhere around 40% from three, which kind of befuddled me because it didn't, doesn't seem like he's that good of a three-point shooter. But I'll, I'll give him at least a little credit. And Daniel Theus goes on one to two game stretches where he looks like he's actually good. And then he goes right back to being absolute dog shit. So that's going to lead me into this. Um, what, what do you want to see the Celtics do with this roster as the deadline comes up? Is there anybody that you're saying, I want them traded? Or I want them kept at all costs? Anything like that? Uh, I think you got to keep the two young guns. I think you got to keep Tatum and Brown. But I'd say anyone else is up for grabs. I know this is a popular pick. Everyone would like a player like a Carl Anthony Towns. But you're talking. We talked earlier about how they were doing so poorly in the West, and you got to think that they're they have to be ready for a rebuild soon. Well, I, I think they're in the middle of a rebuild. I think they've been trying to rebuild for several years now. But like a total rebuild. Think about the package they could get for someone like um, Carl Anthony Towns. Mm. I don't know if the money would work, but looking at this roster right now, I would. I don't know if uh, Minnesota would do it, but I would definitely do a Tristan Thompson, Marcus Smart, and you throw in one of the young guys in the first round pick, you know? Well, you can't trade Marcus Smart. Unpopular he's opinion, he's but so that, that he's, is, the ca- he's the captain, bro. You you beat me to that. I I noticed he said he said Tatum Brown and nobody else, and that was the first thing that popped in my head. So you're okay, Zayd, with trading Marcus Smart? I think so. Yeah, I think I, I love him as a player. I love the hustle on uh, defense. I love the effort that he brings, but I I don't think that he is the player that I mean we, we've. He's been on the team the longest, right? Isn't he the uh, yes. uh, longest tenured, longest veteran on the team? Yeah, we've seen it. it's a not a it's a big enough sample size where I think we kind of know what we get. Great effort on defense. Every time he shoots a three, I close my eyes, but a lot of the times it does go in. So I do like when he goes on those runs. Well, so I I'll cut you off there. I mean, he's averaging his highest points and assists. Twelve points a career, game, right? Somewhere around average is ten. Yeah. Somewhere around thirteen, I think, is what he's averaging this year. But it's just—I mean—he's making it's technically—he's technically improving. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. So I mean, I don't know. So that I think that's an interesting discussion because I think a lot of Celtics fans are thinking emotionally when it comes to Marcus Smart, and we you know we certainly know when Marcus came on our podcast, Marcus is one of the biggest Marcus Smart fans. Um, and Do you think I, he has a jersey? Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I almost know for a fact that he has a Marcus Smart jersey. Yeah, Like, he's that big a fan. And he's not alone. There are tons of people like him who don't want Smart touched. And 
I think that is really naive to think with you know when you're considering the roster like how many guys on this roster have trade value that you're going to get anything for you're talking like Rob Williams, Marcus Smart and then Tatum Brown, Theus maybe has a small niche market and then Kemba just based off the fact that he's an established veteran has some trade value but that contract kind of counterintuitively like or not counterintuitively counteracts that trade value it's like you can't really deal so you take away Tatum and Brown Walker's like impossible to deal and you're looking at Theus you're looking at Rob Williams and you're looking at uh, you're looking at Marcus Smart maybe you start talking about Neesmith and Lankford Lankford can't even see the damn court Glassman is dead he won't get on the, he's never going to get on the court and Neesmith has half of his game's DMP coach's decision and he hasn't showed practically anything in game yet that makes me think that any teams want to deal for. So when you take that into account, you really got two young guys who have possible upside with not much current potential. And then you've got Rob Williams, whose trade value is definitely skyrocketing. Um, but that's only going to make the Celtics not want to deal and I think they should try and find a way to dump Tristan Thompson, who apparently, I was reading today, apparently Tristan Thompson has interest from the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I don't know what you get back. Um, maybe the Raptors say, yo, you want Aaron Baines again? And Danny Ainge is like, run it back. Hell yeah. Fuck it. But like, um, unless that's going to save you some money, I wouldn't do it. I I I just I don't. What is the point? Aaron Baines is. It's like not. Aaron Baines isn't better than Tristan Thompson. If it saves you money, though, by all means, because Thompson's not exactly going to be a mainstay on this roster. And then also, I want to get rid of Daniel Theus because he's an expiring contract. He's going to be a free agent. He no reason for him to come back, in my opinion. But who knows? But like, get rid of him. Um, I don't know who's gonna. Who would be suitable to want to trade and who would want to trade for Daniel Theus? But uh, if it's possible, you do it. Um, there's there, there I, there's just no need for guys like Jeff Teague and Grant Williams to be getting minutes on the court. And, you know, if, with Daniel Theus being as inconsistent as he is, uh, I, I just think it makes the most sense to try and move like there, there are a lot of potential moves that I would like to see made, and I just know deep down that like anywhere from zero to one are gonna happen. Um, is there anything else that Jonathan you might be looking to see happen as we kind of inch closer to that deadline? Um, I'd like to see him make a move, but I don't expect much. I mean the. Basically, he basically hints every time he speaks. Trevor Wick Grossbeck spoke about it. The TPE that they have um, that we all love. Uh, TPE, best, one of the best players on the team. Yeah, he's, he's got all the stats already. Yeah, but they basically came out and said that it's easier to use in the offseason. They're probably going to use it in the offseason unless something magically comes up in the next week and a half that makes them think it's valuable to use it now, but... I so wouldn't expect like with, I wouldn't expect much. Maybe like I would talk before about like a Mike Muscala, like something like very 
small off the bench. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Maybe they'll make a big move, but I just I can't see it. Danny Ainge has is the Celtics are the last the last in the league in the most recent time that they made a trade in season. It's would, been like would, would, six years. Would you rather your front office just tell you that they're gonna do it in the off season, or would you rather them say? Well, nothing? they they can't just come out and say that because like I I guess they obviously they would use it like if they um, found the right opportunity. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they're still business. So if they came straight out and said, we're not using it, it might shy away people from purchasing their product or watching the team, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we've done a good job at getting in as much as we can in a small week, unless there are any other points that you guys want to make, anything else on your mind as we look ahead. But speaking of looking ahead, let's take a look at the schedule for the Celtics over the next week. We are getting back to normalcy. We will have four games in the books by the time we talk next, and they'll be even taking on the Memphis Grizzlies in Memphis next Monday night. Um, funny enough, um, Ryan, uh, our fixin' to talk sports host, will be at that game in Memphis on the 22nd. So we'll have to maybe get a live report from Ryan um, sent into the cool zone off for that game. But prior to that, four games on the docket. They've got the Jazz at home tomorrow night. Then the second end of a back-to-back Wednesday night in Cleveland. Then they come back home for Sacramento on Friday in Orlando on Sunday. So they got two back-to-backs essentially within the next week, being Tuesday, Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Sunday, Monday, with Sacramento sprinkled in between. Uh, what is the outlook? Would you say for this? I mean, what do you want? What are you hoping to see? What do you need to see? The good old stuff. Four and zero is what I would like to see. Of course, Utah's so that goes good, without saying. Utah's a good team, but they've been struggling. Um, they honestly, they should. They're gonna be. They should be favored in all these games. I think. I think they'll. All, I think they'll be favored against Utah. And the three thirty game against Orlando scares me because they've been so awful in those Sunday day games, but mm-hmm. 4-0 is what I want. I'll go, I'll say they go 3-1. and They'll lose one of these games just because they're an inconsistent team. What do you think, Billy? What do you see on the potential for this schedule here? Do you think they have a chance to go 4-0? Uh, I think, I agree with Jonathan said, I'd love 4-0, but I'm expecting 3-1. and I think Utah is just really good right now. They've hit their stride, um, Leading the league in a bunch of categories, and I think they're just they're a little too hot for the Celtics right now. But I'd be certainly fine with three and one on this mini stint. I think if there's ever uh, an opportunity to go four and zero, this might be it. Just given the teams that they're playing, the schedule is going to be tough like this. You're going to see lots of back to backs, and um, you already got looking ahead to next week. You got Milwaukee and OKC on the twenty sixth and twenty seventh, both away games on a road trip. Uh, that'll be a four-game road trip starting the 22nd all the way to the 27th. Um, so schedule is going to be tough in the second half of the season, not necessarily by the teams that they play. I believe the Celtics have one of the easier schedules in the second half in the league. Uh, but as far as the amount of games in the span of time, uh, that's going to have to be something a topic of conversation we revisit as the season goes on. But like I said, I think this is a good opportunity to go 4-0. and The Jazz, like we said, lost four of their last six. Um Never a better time to take advantage of that. And with Cleveland, Sacramento, and Orlando, 
being bottom feeders in the division, literally all, I think, top 10 in the, the draft order currently. They might honestly be 5, 6, and 7, for all I know. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is an opportunity to win some games. And you've won five of your last six. You just dropped one to a really good Brooklyn Nets team. I mean, you, at this point, you, you, I'm, almost, I'm almost expecting 4-0. Like, I, I understand the hesitation for Utah, but this, this is the week where you need to see the Celtics really keep going into form, make that push and try and bounce the heat out of the three spot, or the four spot, and uh, try and make some strides at competing with Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn. So, with that being said, that's going to do it, I believe, for this week's edition of The Cool Zone. Like we talked about, go follow us on Twitter, please, at The Cool Zone Pod. Be sure to check out Fixin' to Talk Sports. Uh, Tomorrow, from when we're filming, or from when we're recording this, Big mega podcast for the NCAA tournament with Ryan Brown. I will be on there with fellow uh, Mouth and Off Sports. Dan Sadik will be joining me. Jonathan will have his own time frame for his recording on this episode. There's going to be a lot of people. My own freaking dad's going to be on this episode. So uh, be sure to tune in because it's going to be a good one. We have a lot to discuss on that tomorrow. And like I said, I have to plug this. We have a very, very special edition. It's not even going to be the cool zone, but it's going to be brought to you by the, the brought to you by the guys who bring you the cool zone. A very special episode. Not going to tell you anything about it, but I think you're going to like it if you know us well enough. So be on the lookout for that. And with that being said, DS, it's time to hit our music. See y'all next week. Yeah.